Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Hello, everyone. My name is Laura Fielding, and I am the Executive Director of Red Berets Medicare for All. I'm greeting you here on the whole Washington Act Blue link to let you know that when you purchase a handcrafted Red Beret, you will be supporting and showing solidarity for the need to move to national improved Medicare for All. We have been knitting and crocheting in support of Senator Bernie Sanders' Senate Bill 1129 and now Representative Pramila Jayapal's partner bill in the House, H.R. 1384. About two and a half, just over two years ago, a nurse named Catherine Lewandowski, who is now the co-chair of Whole Washington, saw some of my posts online. Um, and drove all the way down uh, from Everett to ask me if I had heard of Whole Washington's efforts and if I would like to volunteer. I was very, very impressed when I saw the work ethic um, and the volunteers that were making up this grassroots organization. And I immediately started knitting red berets and organizing events like the People's March for Medicare for All uh, in service to Whole Washington on National Nurses Day. And we have been supporting their efforts ever since. Some of you may know that Saskatchewan province was the first province to move to universal health care and open the floodgates for Canada, which uh, moved to Medicare for All over 50 years ago. And whole Washington is endeavoring to do the same for the United States of America. Today we're speaking with Georgia Davenport, who is the founder and field organizer for Whole Washington in Washington State. They are a an organization that is looking to pass Medicare for All legislation for the state of Washington. And she also recently announced that she's running for the state Senate in District 7. Welcome, Georgia. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm wearing my red beret, which is the red berets for Medicare for All today for the show. Uh, now, you you folks are the ones that started the red berets for Medicare uh, hashtag on Twitter, correct? Actually, no, that was Laura Fielding. And um, she started that organization and got connected with a nurse who's actually the chair of whole Washington. Okay. And um, that's how I met Laura Fielding after she had created the red berets for Medicare for All. But it was a naturally good fit for us to um, coordinate together. And you can actually get these red berets on our website now, wholewashington.org. So if you like one. I yeah, I think it's great because it really draws attention to the cause. And it's mm -hmm. been, um, you know, it gets a lot of attention on social media. And that's a good way to market it. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, Whole Washington is a coalition of activists, um, nurses, doctors, etc., that want to pass state Medicare for all bill in the state of Washington. We tried to do this in California. And although everybody seemed to be behind it, our, um, our, our state legislature kind of shut the bill down. They tabled it. They didn't let it go to a floor vote. And a lot of our politicians in the state are bought and paid for by big pharma and health insurers. So it's part of the problem. Are you facing similar challenges in the state of Washington? Or if not yet, do you perceive that to be a problem as you continue on down this path? Yeah, actually, very similarly, um, both the chairs of the Senate and House healthcare committees are Democrats, but they take a ton of money from for-profit insurers and pharmaceutical companies. 
So they've never let a universal health care bill out of committee so far, but we're really, really lucky in the state of Washington, we have what's called the initiative process. So we can circumvent legislators who refuse to take actions on bills that are important to the people in Washington state. Um, even before COVID-19, we had 522,000 Washington state residents without any health care coverage. So it's very, very important that we get this bill passed. Millions of people have lost their jobs here in Washington state and around the country, as you well know. Um, so having health care tied to employment is just not a very good system at all. So we um, have the, the ability to pass ballot measures. Um, many ballot measures are on the ballot each year and uh, we just need to collect signatures and we can get this passed. The governor doesn't even have to sign it or anything like that. Actually, that's a smart way to go. So you also have a form of direct democracy in the state of Washington that we have in California. What you're talking about specifically is if you get enough citizens to sign to put this on the ballot, it goes directly to the voters in the state as opposed to having to have a bill passed through the legislation. So is that what you you folks are working on right now? Yeah, we actually ran one in 2018. We got 105,000 signatures, but that was about 200,000 signatures short, which is typical for a Roots organization just starting out. A lot of the times uh, initiatives take two rounds to get on the ballot and we were geared up to collect signatures this year, but because you have to collect signatures in person, we ended up having to postpone the campaign because all the big events where we would normally collect signatures have been canceled. Right. So we're going to try again next year, but we do have a bill in the legislature, or we did rather for the last two years, it needs to be reintroduced this year, but it was SB 5222. But again, um, because uh, politicians are bought and sold yeah. <laughs> by pharmaceutical companies and for-profit insurance companies, we uh, were not even allowed to have a hearing this last year. That's terrible. Who is your uh, sponsor for SB 5222? Senator Bob Hasegawa was the sponsor. We actually had three sponsors, um, so but he was the main sponsor of the bill in the Senate. And I'm assuming he is a progressive that sees the need for reform inside the party? Yeah, he's a huge progressive and Bernie supporter. Um, so he was very, very happy to co-sponsor the bill. Excellent. So let me ask you this. You also serve on your DCCC uh, or your county central committee what are you seeing internally inside the party there? Because that is a prime position to try to push for change that's necessary for reform. Yeah, I've actually been elected to the Washington State Democratic Central Committee three times now, um, twice in my previous district, which was the 33rd Legislative District. And then I just got reelected to the State Central Committee for the 7th Legislative District a few months ago. Um, so recently, you know, we haven't been able to have meetings the state convention is coming up this weekend, though, so that will be interesting. It's all virtual. Oh, but okay. Previously, we, we were able to pass a lot of really great progressive resolutions and a great progressive platform, um, which are then just ignored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Officials, so it's pretty frustrating. Um, I worked really hard on a superdelegate resolution right after 2016, which passed, um, and then they soon after that made it so that superdelegates couldn't vote on the um, first ballot, which was a huge push. I know progressives all over the country were working on that. So that was really nice. I would have rather seen them get rid of um, the superdelegate process altogether. 
but um, at least they can't vote on the first ballot now. But th that's some of the changes that we kind of saw after the uh, Bernie supporters to the party and tried to make some reforms. But overall, I say it's kind of frustrating um, working really hard, writing resolutions. For example, the um, Medicare for All resolution I wrote and had passed through the State Central Committee endorsing Pramila Jayapal's Medicare for All. Well, yet um, only two of our congressional representatives have co-sponsored that bill. And only neither, two? Only two, yes, 10. Oh, but two, I think we have three Republicans, so I wouldn't kind of expect- All right, well- uh, That we have like three Democrats in this state who have not co-sponsored Medicare for All, and neither one of our senators have. Even though we're such a progressive state and we've repeatedly passed resolutions um, asking them to co-sponsor, and it's in our um, Democratic Party platform here in Washington State. What do what do your senators say for not signing up for this? Have they been confronted on this, and if so, what's their response? Um, they consistently say they just want to strengthen the ACA. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, which uh, isn't working. I mean, right. The ACA is just a giant handout to health insurance companies. It's, you know, I don't understand why people aren't aren't really clear on that at this point. <laughs> Folks can't afford these premiums. They're very high. And, uh, and, and like you said earlier, having that tied to employment is a bad mm -hmm. idea. I mean, yes, you can get a cheaper, cheaper premium with group insurance, but that's only good if you're employed full-time at a co company. If not, if you're self-employed, you're a gig worker, you're unemployed, mm -hmm. your options are very limited and they're all incredibly expensive. Exactly. So it just doesn't make sense at this point. Medicare for all uh, has an overhead of like two, three percent, whereas these these other plans have overheads of like twenty seven percent. I would imagine that if the moral argument wasn't enough to convince folks that the economic one would be. Uh, let me ask you this, Georgia, you're in District seven, which is on the eastern side of the state. That's a predominantly Republican area. So I would imagine that you're talking to a lot of Republicans out there. Is there an understanding? with those folks that Medicare for all is a good idea. I mean, I sort of feel like this isn't a right or left issue. I think it's a 1% corporate oligarchy versus everybody else sort of an issue at this point. Yeah, you know, the working class are the ones that are feeling the pinch the most right now because of high co-pays, deductibles, and premiums. So it's about framing the argument, you know. I, I'm pretty sure most people at this point either have used GoFundMe or know somebody who has had to use GoFundMe to pay for healthcare, uh, so it's affecting everyone. It's a bipartisan issue. There's no partisanship, I believe, when it comes to um, promoting universal healthcare. And also, again, working class families really are the ones that are hurting the most. Yeah. I feel like the current system forces people to either stay below the poverty line or um, just not not seek out higher paying jobs at all, or seek out employment at all. And then those of us who are employed, who are, you know, above that 200% of the federal poverty line, so we don't, um, we're not, we can't get Medicaid. Uh, we have to pay these really high premiums, co-pays and deductibles. So if we, we communicate to people in this district, which I try to do, that this will benefit everyone, everyone will have Medicaid style coverage. They, they come around to it. I had a good discussion with a Trump supporter actually a few weeks ago about it. And she said, you know, I don't really like Obamacare. Um, I'm on Apple Care. And I said, well, you know, Apple Care is 
the ACA, which yeah. is a- <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, it's it's about like, communicating and and really talking about um, the current system and how we can improve it and how we can make it um, fair for everyone. Yeah, indeed. And I I think reality is sort of endorsing that at this point. I Mm -hmm. think if people weren't clear on that a year ago, they should be now. Uh, How is unemployment in the state of Washington right now? You have a lot of tech companies, and I would imagine they're being massively affected by what's going on with COVID. Well, if you work for a tech company, you're probably able to work from home. But it's um, districts like like my district that are really... um, feeling the pinch right now because, well, first of all, since it's so rural, you have to drive really far to get to, um, through the mountains. Right, right, exactly. Um, and you know, schools are out. So a lot of us are having to homeschool and that sort of thing. And the unemployment rate has really skyrocketed here, which means that a lot of people are losing their health care coverage. And I know that the um, Democrats are talking about um, covering COBRA, but if anybody's ever <laughs> COBRA before, it is really ridiculous. Yeah. Expensive. And it is also like similarly to the ACA, a gift to um, for-profit insurance companies. This is, we need to get away from subsidizing for-profit insurance companies and setting nonprofit health trusts like Medicare, like Medicaid, and like the whole Washington Health Trust. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This is just the Democratic Party not able to walk away from its donor class. It's it's still trying to serve two masters. You can't serve the working class and also the donor class that it, that are keeping the working class down and in their place, right? And that's that's the internal proxy battle that's happening inside the party that I'm sure you see serving on the central county um, committee. So you're now running for your state Senate in District 7. What were some of your motivations for that? Um, I'm actually running for the House. Oh, uh, sorry, House. It's, a, it's okay. Um, position 1 in Legislative District 7. I I wasn't planning on running. I'm new to this district. So I was hoping someone else would step up to challenge the Republican. But on Thursday of filing week with the deadline Friday at like 2 o'clock, nobody had said <laughs> Filed to run against the Republican, and I really feel like um, this district deserves a choice. Yeah, people need to be able to say, you know, I I feel like we should be going in a different direction. Um, especially, you know, and COVID nineteen was another thing that really um, pushed me to run because even before COVID nineteen, we had so many people without healthcare co- coverage and no movement, no movement on um, a universal health care bill. I contacted my representatives. As soon as I moved here, really, I contacted my representatives to ask them where they stood. Yeah. And I got one form letter back months after the legislative session had ended. So no phone calls, no emails. Um, and I'm sure they're very busy, but at least respond um, <laughs> to, to your constituents. Yeah, I agree. That's probably one of the biggest problems that we have is that these folks aren't responding to their constituents, and that's what they're tasked for. They're supposed to serve the people in the district, right? And that's not happening anymore. Yeah, my opponent has um, $70,000 already to spend on this election, and I I looked at her PDC filings, and a lot of it comes from for-profit insurers and pharmaceutical companies. (laughs) um, They see you coming. Yeah, it's... (laughs) It's the same with a lot of the Democrats in the state. Oh, 100%. So, 
Yeah, and and one of the things that I would hear all the time when I was pushing for the whole Washington Health Trust bill was, oh, do you know how strong the insurance lobby is? This is from representatives saying, do you know how strong the insurance lobby is? We can't get this done because they're so strong. Like, who are you serving? The yeah. insurance lobby or us? I mean, poll after poll shows that universal health care, Medicare for all is really popular in Washington state. So it's That's right. a brainer as far as I'm concerned. And actually we have um, a few other people who are whole Washington volunteers or board members who are running for Senate positions and um, positions in the state legislature. So I'm hoping we'll all get elected and really shake things up this next session. No, and you're right. It's it's the voters want it. Most of them, not everybody, but most of them understand why it's beneficial. They get that they're going to pay less money than they do currently with their premiums, their co-pays, their deductibles, and that they're going to get better care. So I think the hurdle is getting both parties, the platonomy, to stop. We have to get rid of the ones that are, are, are not listening to the voters and are only listening to their donors because they're not serving their constituents. Um, you know, we had a similar problem when we tried to pass Prop 61 here in California, which Bernie Sanders even came into the state and campaigned for uh, with uh, United Nurses, Nurses United. And the pharma money, the big pharma money, the health insurance money that poured into, it poured into the state to defeat this proposition was absolute insane, insane amounts yeah. of money. So, of course, they're going to see you coming because you're part of whole Washington. You've been working on a Medicare for all bill. And that's very dangerous, right? Having somebody like you coming into uh, the po- political circle is just very dangerous for them. So they're going to spend insane amounts of money against you. I would not be surprised if that number quadrupled in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up because um, there was a similar bill, the whole Washington Health Trust that they tried to run as an initiative in Colorado in 2016, which Bernie Sanders also uh, campaigned for. Um, That was defeated because they poured so much money, the pharmaceutical companies and for-profit insurance companies uh, poured so much money to defeat that. So I actually, um, the, I'm the field director for One Payer States as well, which is like a national organization to help states pass universal health care legislation. And we're talking about running initiatives in five or six states all at the same time right. so that they can't just target one state. I think that's going to be our strategy in 2021, and I'm really, really excited about that. I don't have a lot of hope that it will pass through the legislature. I am going to work my hardest to make that happen. But I, again, most of these representatives take a ton of money yeah. from, from these companies that uh, really are opposed to any change in our system because they know it will end the billions of dollars that they can you know, earn from, from our, you know, taking advantage of sick people essentially is what it comes down to. No, absolutely. So, that's why I'm really excited about that strategy to run ballot initiatives. And I hope that California can, can join that. And we just will all work together to pass these uh, bills as initiatives. And then we can circumvent these people who are not going to take any action. You know, and it's a smart plan. It's how they actually got universal health care in Canada. They went, mm-hmm. they went from district to district. Um, so... And interestingly enough, it reminds me of what American Promises is doing in regards to overturning Citizens United. If we go state by state, as opposed to try to get something done federally, you kind of force the hand of the feds, right? So it's mm-hmm. actually a good plan. 
Um, and if it takes, you know, if it takes a couple of rounds, that's what it's going to take. I think eventually people are, are going to see it for what it is. And I think that's actually happening already. The fact that you have a plurality of voters in both parties saying, yeah, OK, Medicare for all makes sense. It's not that socialist boogeyman that, you know, our forebears told us we were to be afraid of. Right. These, these are arguments that only serve the profiteering of the uh, insurance industry. And no matter how much money they have, eventually people will see through that, I think, at least. Right. Well, I mean, COVID-19, again, demonstrates without a doubt that our system needs change. If this if this doesn't demonstrate it, I don't Nothing know. Nothing will. Yeah. I mean, look, public health. Here's another area. Public health affects everybody, not just the poor. So if you have a pandemic and the, the wealthy, at least in this country, don't do anything about it, they could well end up sick as well. So it's it's not as if a virus can only stick into like certain areas, right? It's going to travel. So at some point, we have to understand that the public good, the common good of the nation is more important and that the profiteering is just, it, it serves no one, but the people getting rich off of it, absolutely no one. Exactly, exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, the state by state attempts to overturn Citizens United because I was a staffer for Initiative 735. Oh, okay. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's my 64% in 2016. 64%. Yeah. Um, and I think it passed in every single district except for one. So Which one? Do you know? Do you remember? Um, I think it was Ponderay uh, County. Huh. It was the only one, which is one of the counties in my district, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But that just goes to show that even in Eastern Washington, people believe that money is corrupting. And it is corrupting. Yeah, it's exactly. it's the evil of all of all problems in politics, whether you're on the right or the left. Money in politics is the root of all evil. And it's not helping. I mean, I, I don't see how this is a, is a right versus left issue at all. I think it's an American citizen issue is either we clean up the corruption and we do something about it or or we get a worse corporate oligarchy. And I don't think it's tenable. 82% of the new wealth created the last couple of years went to the 1%. That is not tenable. If you want to save capitalism, you need to do something about the income inequality. I personally don't want to save capitalism, but those those on the right that do should come to terms with this because right now the entire system is going to, is headed for an implosion. You know, it's, it's not tenable. Um, so- you have a savings estimator on the whole Washington website that I wanted to ask you about, because I think it's kind of a genius thing. You go in there and you plug in all of the, your personal data, and it tells you how much you're going to save under a Medicare for All plan or a whole Washington, whole Washington plan versus what you're paying with a private insurance plan. Is that something that whole Washington developed, or was that developed somewhere else? Well, we partnered with an organization called of coders network they're awesome they help lots of different campaigns around the country um, developing different tools for them and the number one question we always get when we're out collecting signatures or talking about this issue is how are you going to pay for it so not only did we do a funding study we hired dr gerald friedman who is a world-renowned single-payer economist we he's done the funding studies for national medicare for all bills and a bunch of other state bills um, we hired him to do a funding study to figure out how we could pay for it. And then Progressive Coders Network came up with this really, really cool calculator savings estimator that um, it's just genius because you, when I'm out collecting signatures and somebody says, well, how much am I going to pay for it? Well, right. you, know, you can tell them the percentages, but it's, it's supposed to be a progressive 
piece of legislation. So people are going to be paying different amount based on how much capital gains they make, for example, right. sort of thing. So I can just hand them my phone and say, just put in your information and it gives them real numbers at that moment. So yeah. I hope that um, other organizations develop the same tools because it really, really is a, a powerful way to communicate with people how much they're going to save. My family saves over $2,000 a year um, if we implement it with the whole Washington Health Trust. And here in Washington State, we have actually the most regressive tax structure in the United States. So we have no income tax. So part of, we wanted everybody to have universal health care in Washington state, but we also wanted to balance our tax system at the same time. So that was one of our goals is, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen the news that we're going to have the first trillionaire and he lives here in this state and he doesn't have to pay any income yeah. tax in Washington. So that's one of the, one of our goals was to have people in our state. We, I think we have five billionaires and now maybe one trillionaire living in the Seattle area, not paying any income tax. So we, we developed an eight and a half percent capital gains tax to, to help pay for the whole Washington health trust to kind of balance our, out our tax structure. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. And you're right. You know, these guys get away with murder. Um, so Jeff Bezos is the trillionaire that you're you're speaking about. So f so folks that don't know your other millionaires or billionaires would be Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. uh, who else? Uh, um, let's see. The other guy from Microsoft. I can't think of his name right now. <laughs> I, I don't have a list in front of me, but I think there's. No, oh, God. Not the coder guy. The other one. Um, yeah. His business partner from like the beginning yeah so anyway they're all pretty much tech tech related and they're not paying their fair share of taxes exactly. you know it's sort of a utilitarian argument that we use in philosophy right if i give a thousand dollars to bill gates it's meaningless it's less than a penny it's it just doesn't matter to him whatsoever it makes no difference it it does it doesn't he's not going to spend it it's just going to sit in his account it doesn't improve anything, right? But if I take that same $1,000 and I give it to somebody that's making minimum wage, that is a huge difference to this individual, mm -hmm. right? This is not only going to improve their life, it, they're, they're going to actually spend it and circulate it back into the economy, right? So it just absolutely makes no sense that all of this wealth is being hoarded at the top and it's mm -hmm. being hoarded at the expense of everybody else. You know, a lot of folks need to understand it's still a pie, right? You can have growth and expansion in your pie, right? It's going to grow, but that doesn't mean that it's this infinite amount. It, the pie still gets divided up. So if 82% is going to the top, that mm -hmm. leaves the remaining, you know, 19%, 18%, 70% at the bottom, depending on the last few years it's been around there. So it's, it's a huge problem. It is. It is. And it's definitely the the biggest problem in our state right now we have a hard time evil, even funding um, public education because we don't have an income tax and property tax is really aggressive sales tax is really aggressive because uh, people like bezos can go buy their yachts and uh a yeah they're 27 state. yachts or whatever yeah. else so, so how is it that you don't are... have an income tax georgia how is that even a thing to begin with like has I anybody know. tried to change that yeah, actually, the first iteration of our bill had an income tax, but um, we got such backlash from even progressive organizations. It was shocking that we ended up bringing that to a payroll tax instead. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, every year we try to 
you know, push for an income tax, but people have such a knee-jerk reaction to that. I mean, it's it's one of the most contentious issues, I would say, in the state. I would imagine so, because you're going to get that framing from the from the right saying like, you know, all the scare stuff about you're you're going to be paying more money in taxes, no taxes, no, no bigger government. You know, you're going to get all that rhetoric. But I think if people understand that that, that those sort of, those sort of um, tax bills are aimed at the ultra wealthy. Yeah. I mean, here in the state or really in any state that has uh, income tax, it is going to be tiered in the same way that that marginal rates are with your federal income tax. Right. Well, and under- that's, the, that's the trick, though. So someone, whoever the people were who gathered together to write our um, Washington state constitution decided to put in it that um, every tax has to be a flat tax. Wait, what? Yes. So wait, any- wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is yes. wait, you're, how did I not know this? Your state constitution has has in it that it has to be a flat tax? Yes. What yes. in the actual hell? I, I know. So it would, cont- it would take a constitutional change. Right. You have to put amendment on the state constitution. Yeah. <gasps> to do a progressive income tax. Um, there is a caveat. You can exempt the first $15,000 of in- income. Um, but after that, it all has to be taxed at an equal rate. That's wild. I did not know this. Um, was that there from moment one or was that added by amendment later on? Do you know the history of that? Um, I'm not sure where it came about, but it was definitely one of the challenges that we were trying to overcome. It's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Because the burden, the burden automatically goes to the lower classes when they do that automatically. Exactly. I mean, because if you, if you institute like a 5% just or 10% for something easier, Right. The guy that's paying, making 30,000 a year versus the guy that's making 30 million. You're going to tell me they're both paying the same 10%. Obviously yep, the burden where's... falls on the poor individual because that's a hu- a much larger percentage of their, their income. Yep. That's why our state's the most regressive state as far as taxation in the entire country because of like that. Wow. I thought, I always thought you guys were a little bit more progressive than California. I'm taking that back now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you guys have a lot more senators and congressional representatives that co-sponsor Medicare for all, for a start. Well, they do, um, Georgia, but then they don't do anything to get it done. It's just platitudes and, and lip service, really, at the end of the day, because if they keep tabling the bill or if they don't, you know, do anything to get it out of committee, what point? What point is it? It's like the IDC in New York w- that had the power sharing agreement with the Republicans, right? They all said they supported progressive legislation, But then they would turn around and do these things where it never got to the floor for a vote. So who's your real enemy? Right. Yeah, that's it's difficult because, you know, at least, you know, what you're getting with a Republican there. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you're doing. But with the Democrat, you know, you kind of you you hope that they're going to follow up with actions to their words. Um, You hope. Yeah, some do. But a lot of them don't. You know, I don't think um, I think we have a clear problem and there needs to be change. And. And it's about time that they started paying attention to what their platform is. I, I get really upset because they have this really progressive platform, right? But then they they don't they ignore it, right? It's just a piece of paper. So if they want to say I'm going to support the Green New Deal or I'm su- going to support uh, climate change, but some of their DNC members are you know fossil fuel industry lobbyists. You know what's going on here? Obviously, yeah. you can't serve both masters. 
Right. At least not effectively. Because you know who always wins? The guy with the money. Always. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so what is your candidate platform going to include? I'm assuming Medicare for All is a given. But what are some of the other things you want to work on if you get elected? Well, um, I would like to uh, change that constitutional amendment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's just taxation. wild. So that's one thing. Um, I would like to make it so that for-profit insurers um, and pharmaceutical companies cannot donate to legislators' um, campaigns here in the state. I think it's a clear conflict of interest. Um, and that goes for fossil fuel companies and that sort of thing, too. Uh, so... Also, we have been, we passed Initiative 735, which was to overturn Citizens United and to support Amendment 48, which it's actually is House Joint Resolution 48, which would rule the cons that corporations aren't people and money isn't speech. So I would like to use my platform to um, appeal to our representatives to pass that bill through the you know, House, the National House. Um, that's, those are basically my three biggest thing. Oh, and, uh, broadband internet, because we're in a rural area, we need public access yeah. to um, internet here, especially uh, we've been seeing this is, it's so difficult right now with parents having to homeschool their kids. And a lot of people do not have internet out here. Wow. So we need to, to fix that really, really quickly because I don't, think that we're going to be going back to school in the fall. No. So, yeah. That's a real possibility. Yeah. Kids who are at home right now getting homeschooled really need access to the internet so that they can have that interaction with our teachers. Every Thursday, my daughter meets with her teachers and her classmates, but some kids have to actually drive to the middle school and sit in the middle school parking lot to have those <sighs> classes. So we need to solve that issue really, really quickly here. Yeah, no, broadband is a problem, not only in rural areas where they're not laying uh, any cable or any fiber, but also, believe it or not, in cities like where I live here in Los Angeles, it's a cartel. I have exactly mm -hmm. one option when it comes to internet service and they don't deliver the goods time and time again, right? Uh, we're always having problems here. So we need to do something to upend that. They need, there's no profit motive for them to lay to lay the fiber in the rural areas that you're in, right? They they can't make a lot of money off of it, so they don't want to do the investment. And then in our areas, they're they're feathering their nests by creating these cartels or these monopolies where they can charge whatever they want and not have to improve anything. The Department of Justice. Uh, hasn't been breaking up monopolies. They've allowed these larger companies to keep consolidating, right? Keep merging, which has not been good for the consumer. That's part one. And then the second part is, I think, municipal broadband, whereas whereas the internet is simply treated as a utility because that's what it is, right? I think publicly funded broadband makes more sense to me. You know, like if you go to Europe, you get free Wi-Fi wherever you go, right? It's, it's a non-issue. Yes. And that's, we need to do that in every state. Uh, it's, it's absurd right now, especially again, COVID-19 demonstrates how this, I mean, kids need access to the internet at this point. And I really feel our legislature has not done enough already. And then we need to have an emergency session to address some of these issues. I think that they will probably call an emergency session pretty soon here. Yeah. And I hope that that's one of the things that they address. 
So now you mentioned that your state uh, party, the Democratic Party state convention is coming up and it's going to all be done virtually. What are some of the items on the agenda that you're concerned with? So um, they developed a platform. Because everything's virtual, they changed all the rules, um, which I understand completely. They had to. Um, but it's it's harder to keep it transparent. Yeah. Uh, I know that we've been working, a lot of delegates have been working really hard on the platform. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what passes, and I would love to follow up and um, let you know what happens. Oh, yeah, platform. sure. No, but we'll definitely. I'm a delegate. I'm a legislative district delegate, um, and I was also a delegate in 2016. And that was really exciting. We all went to Tacoma for the state convention. We were able to pass a last minute rule that let us endorse Bernie Sanders. Um, we, I think we were the only state party to endorse Bernie Sanders, but that's because a whole bunch of delegates were able to get together and plan that. It's not gonna be as easy to do anything like that. I don't know if it will even be possible to do anything like that um, now that it's gonna be all virtual. Uh, I think that if, there's there are any troublemakers they could probably just shut, just shut off the mics right, exactly <laughs> shut so off the zoom mic you're muted exactly exactly so it'll be interesting to see how that develops yeah i i'm a little bit concerned about some of that stuff that you're talking about because i think the same is true in every state convention and i think the same might be even true when the dnc has its um larger convention that they've now postponed into august i don't i don't I'm not sure that they're not going to cancel out and make that virtual at this point as well. And none of this, like, I just feel like this entire year, 2020, is just, I don't think Biden has a real mandate because of the way things have happened. Um, I don't think, I don't think he's the right uh, candidate for to face uh, Trump. Trump is terrible. Don't get me wrong. He's awful. Like, and he gets worse by the day. But, but you know what? Biden's not, not going to save us. I think we're in a very dark place. And I think the Democratic Party is not in a good space when it comes to seeing all of this for what it is, at least the establishment. When I, when I say the Democratic Party, I'm talking about Tom Perez and, and some, of the mm. other, some of the other folks that are in charge here. I don't think they're listening or hearing or wanting to hear what folks like you have to say, and I think it's concerning. Yeah, I got the opportunity to confront Tom Perez when he came to Washington State a few years ago and hand him my superdelegate resolution, which was really awesome. Nice. What did he say to you? Anything? Oh, he was very nice and nodded and smiled. There were lots of people taking pictures and <laughs> lots of witnesses. So, um, but I was able to also insert um, a letter. I don't know if he ever got it or read it, but about how the Democratic Party needs to actually reflect their name, Democratic, um, because a lot of people get disenfranchised by the, the current way that our party has structured the primary specifically um, talking about superdelegates, but also lots of other ways. Um, it's really difficult for people to participate in the Democratic Party in, the, in the, its current form. For example, with the state committee, we travel three times a year to different cities around the state. We have to stay in hotels. So it's very expensive to be a state committee member. Yeah. Not accessible to most people. So conversely, this might make the Democratic Party more accessible to people who um, can't afford. 
No, you're right, Georgia. And it's not just the state party, it's the DNC too. Like Mm -hmm. if you ever notice where the DNC holds its uh, meetings, it's always in really expensive cities and they have certain hotels you have to stay with. You have Mm -hmm. to have money if you're going to participate in in the party, which is, it it doesn't jive with what the party is supposed to be about, right? On on a superficial level, at least, it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, So I think that needs to change too. Um, Have you set up a, a donation page yet for your campaign or no? Yeah, so my website's Davenport for Washington, F-O-R-Washington.com. Um, you can donate or volunteer at that website. I also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account. So please um, feel free to like me and follow me on Twitter. Uh, I haven't said very much because I've been so busy getting those things <laughs> ready. It was it was kind of a shock when I uh, decided to, to run. It was very last minute, so I've been um, catching up. But um, I would love anybody who who could help me with my campaign because right now it's all going to be virtual. So it doesn't matter what state you're yeah. in. If you want a text bank or phone bank or write postcards, I would love to have that assistance. I don't have any. Um, there's only two of us in the primary. So I will definitely make it through the primary to the general. So that's really exciting. Um, and I plan to use my platform to talk about Medicare for all and universal health care and all these other issues we've been talking about. Um, one of the things that frustrates me repeatedly about initiatives is how they don't get a lot of attention. People like to talk about candidates a lot and interview candidates a lot, but initiatives don't, you know, it's really hard to get any news out about them. Yeah. Get the word out. Um, so I, I really feel like this is a unique opportunity to use my my candidacy to further the information about Washington and other issues that are really, really important to people in this state. I agree with you, Georgia. I think initiatives and policy are what matters the most. And mm-hmm. in fact, people should turn off their team sports button on a certain level and just really focus on the policy, right? I mean, what's the point of voting for a Democrat if he's exactly the same policy-wise as the Republican? You haven't improved anything. You're just playing team sports, right? So that just doesn't make sense. We need to pay We need to pay really good attention, a really close attention. That was kind of a weird English, really good attention. <laughs> We need to we need to pay really close attention to the policy that each one of these candidates are uh, supporting because or and their history too. You know, if you've got somebody that's been in office for a long time, go back and look at the things that they said yes to. It should give you a really good idea of where they're going to be headed in the future, regardless of whatever platitudes they're spilling. Right? Exactly, exactly. And I just want to point out too, I think I forgot to mention it, or or maybe I mentioned it before the call that initiatives. Once they're on the ballot and passed, they don't need to be passed by the legislature. They don't need to be signed by the governor. So it's really, it does what it says it will do. A lot of the times you support candidates and you put all your time and effort towards a candidate and they get into office and there's all sorts of barriers for them to actually pass the legislation that that you supported them for. Whereas an initiative, it's, it's gonna do what it says it's gonna do once it's passed so the unique thing about an initiative and that's why i love initiatives i love initiatives too i think it's the way to actually get stuff done and i um, i hope california takes your lead and instead of trying to go through our legislative body actually puts a proposition on our ballot for medicare for all i'd like to see that happen yeah 
Me too. And I would like to help anybody who's going to work on that, please contact me, Georgia at wholewashington.org. And I would love to partner up with that for you on that. Excellent.